0: No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code program.
1: Hey everybody, it's Logan with Sweetfish. In today's episode, we're going to share an interview from B2B Tech Talk from our friends over at Ingram Micro. B2B Tech Talk with Ingram Micro is a podcast that shares news about emerging tech before it becomes mainstream. Maybe you're a sales or marketing professional with an aptitude for new tech, or you just like to nerd out a bit on some of this stuff from time to time. I know I do. Or maybe you know an IT pro, a CIO, an investor in tech companies that might find this episode useful. In this new series, B2B Tech, you'll hear conversations with tech leaders as they explore topics like IoT, cloud evolution, the future of AI, and more. If you or a friend would like to go deeper on these topics, just search B2B Tech Talk in Apple Podcasts or be on the lookout for hashtag B2B Tech in the headlines here on B2B Growth. All right, let's get into the show.
2: Welcome back to B2B Tech Talk. My name is James Carberry with Sweetfish Media, and I will be the guest host for this episode. We're recording on-site in Denver, Colorado at the Ingram Micro One event, and in this episode, I will be talking to Michael Coopersmith. He is the owner of Integrated Technology Systems in New York City. Michael, how are you doing today?
3: I'm doing great. Thanks for inviting me.
2: I'm really excited to chat with you today, Michael. So your love for technology started at a very young age, and you've talked before uh, about your first experience with a Commodore 64. Yeah, tell us, tell us it kind of dates me
3: that. way back there. Um,
2: <laughs> tell us about that early I was
3: really actually started. even before that it was a, like I had one a Timex Sinclair and then I got a Commodore 64 <laughs> so that it was actually an upgrade. I was about all of 12 years old. <laughs> um, nobody had computers. I got convinced my parents to get me a computer. And it was kind of like, I talked the talk and it attracted me and I could lose myself for four or five, six hours I in the that. computer. I so love. it was awesome. Kind of always had an interest from that point on.
2: I love it. So how, how did that evolve throughout, you know, your, into your teenage years? And, so interestingly
3: adults? enough, um, I did that. I, we got a PC. I worked on that a little bit and I was 16 years of age looking for a job. And my mother worked for a trucking company called Hino Diesel. They're actually a division of Toyota. And they were looking for somebody to do Lotus 1-2-3 spreadsheets okay. way back in the day. <laughs> so here I am, 16 years of age on the executive floor working on this worldwide spreadsheet, didn't even know what it was doing, but basically <laughs> knew how to calculate numbers and knew how to make the thing work. And did it and then that. it was interesting then they put me in the back rooms doing data entry and some other stuff and I actually kind of got a little disinterested mm. in it at that point and went for a degree in accounting believe it or not
2: okay and and so what then led to you starting your own company
3: so interesting point i you gave me the notes and i thought long and hard about that so i always kept an interest i always had an interest even though i wasn't going for a degree in it so when i got out of school I went to work for a small accounting firm. They had computers already there, accountants were one of the first, but everything was siloed, everything was on each computer. Being an interest, I never thought about hiring somebody. I just took the initiative and connected all the equipment. Well, that led to clients hearing that I was doing that and I got some small engagements that way. The accounting firm and I didn't quite see eye to eye. We came to an agreement that I would take my computer clients and leave the practice and worked out all those arrangements. And I started my business basically just me, myself, and I doing the tech work, as a lot of people did in this industry back in the day. Got it,
2: and and how how many employees do you have now?
3: We're twelve people, twelve folks, and so what
2: what has that have there been any you know, lessons learned of you as you've scaled from being a kind of a solo guy on your own to now? There's a lot employees? of
3: lessons learned, um, you know, probably for the first 10 or 12 years, I never thought about sales and marketing Mm. and kind of being, I came from the tech side of the business and came from an accounting side, just thought about the numbers, but never really thought about, okay, How do I develop a sales and marketing strategy? How do I develop a thing? And an interesting side note on that is I've seen the guys that did come in from the sales and marketing side of the business who had less technical know-how grew faster than the guys who had technical know-how with limited sales and marketing.
2: Yeah. So what did that sales and marketing strategy end up... Shaking out to be as you started to put more attention there.
3: Um, we started to do some events locally. We started joining the chamber. We got involved in that. That led to some contacts for some clients. That led to some great hires. Led to actually me being here at Ingram. Yeah. So it all led to business advances that way. We've done some Google ad work stuff. We, and we we were early on that and that led to a lot of business. We're now refining it to traditional outbound calling and marketing yeah. plans and just, you know, the grit yeah. of really pushing on that yep. piece. And, and I'm assuming that's paying off as, as you guys are continuing to grow. It is gro- continuing to pay off. We are actually looking at the fact that this year as we've Kind of twelve people, three million dollars in revenue. We really need to kind of reorganize and reposition our company for the next stage of growth. Yeah, I love it. So, Michael, why why do companies? I, I
2: love talking about positioning and and how how different companies like yours are positioned in the market. What tends to be the the ideal client for
3: for you? Who is the so uh, company um, that you serve best? So we serve. We're in the New York. City market. We're in the New York metro market, which is a very unique market. Basically, we we joke that they want negative 15 minute SLA. (laughs) We should anticipate that they called and be able to deal with it. So our typical client is looking for, you know, we deal in professional services, primarily law firms, accounting firms. Financial services, and then we do a little bit of not-for-profit. Those are probably four areas. Legal is about 50% of our client base. Got it.
2: And are there specific problems that those folks are coming to you guys to to get solved? The biggest
3: problem they have is they want support quick. Mm. They want their problems solved. They want to practice law. And they want to do it. Interestingly, in the New York market, though, we're seeing a big push with security, not because they want it, but because their clients are requiring it of them. Interesting. Interesting.
2: So what what have you guys done going back to the timepiece, How have you
3: built the organization to be able to meet that demand for fast response times? So we have, interestingly, we look at everything from we have dashboards up on the wall, so everybody knows where everything is. So one of the things in the culture that we built was we're in the relationship business that happens to do technology. Mm, like we're in the, you know, that is one of the pieces that's the core of the business. So I always say to people, you know, we can, if we communicate and we're jammed up and we let them know when to expect it, it will work. If we don't communicate it, everything that goes wrong, usually that I've seen is a communication breakdown. So we really strengthen communication and relationships. And that's our core focus in our business. So when we go in, we talk to these law firms, we understand that, you know, there's an SLA in place, but we also understand the SLA cannot be hard and fast. You know, if you've got a filing or you've got a trial the next day, and we so we educate them to adv- how to advocate and how to work with us hey i got a filing in an hour yeah. my pc my word is not working yeah. okay now this becomes a level 1 one problem mm-hmm. that has to get immediate attention and who are we where, how are we going delegate resources so understanding their business and what their needs are yeah. is really how we really differentiate on that point that.
2: Michael you, you touched on culture earlier and how you've you know baked that into the culture uh, what are some other things you've learned kind of on the on the people management side of the business you know coming up
3: from the technical side? The people, the healthy. thing I've learned is I have to take care of my people first. Mm. That's first and foremost. The people are in the business are the most important part. We've let a few clients go who just do not, who really do not reconcile with our culture. Yeah. I'm not saying everybody has to be a hundred percent, but if it's a lot of conflict in that relationship, it, it doesn't do well. Yeah. So we look at you know, I, my wife and I own the business and we look at the fact that we're supporting ourselves, our family, and all the families that work for us. Yep. And that's where our perspective and our view comes from.
1: Real quick, before we jump straight back into the episode today, we want to tell you about Ingram Micro Financial Solutions and how you can maximize your buying power and get to yes with your customers faster. For the last nine years, Ingram Micro has been Channel Pro's reader's choice for best financing options. Put the power of our credit and leasing options to work for you. You can easily contact financial Solutions at ingrammicro.com. All right, let's get back to the show.
2: So you owning the business with your wife, uh, any any lessons learned around working
3: with your spouse and, and how to make that go smooth? Clear lines of responsibility and communication between family and business. Okay. Like in our, my wife and I relationship, my primary responsibility day to day is the business first and family second, that doesn't, that still means I make all my kids sports events and make all their school yeah. events. But if there's a call to be made, she's the one. So okay. she, her responsibility is the family first and the business second. Mm. So we've done that. And then as far as, you know, she has her lines of responsibility that she's responsible for. I don't go if there's something going wrong in that area. I go to her. I don't go around her. If she sees something going wrong, she comes to me and doesn't go around me on it. Got it. And and so, how, do
2: you guys have a ha, have any hard and fast rules around? Hey, we don't talk about work after six p.m. or, or we just... try. <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine <laughs> it's pretty tough to pull it's, that off.
3: It's um, we do a decent job. Um. On the same breath, it also, we do a okay. We've really worked at it to not always have it involved um, in everything. It, sometimes it's it's like we sit down and we finally have some time to ourselves. Our children are just growing up now, so we have a lot more time. And we look at each other and go, okay, what are we gonna talk about? Because we don't wanna talk about work. <laughs> but in the same breath, you know, the... Um, business is the thing driving our legacy. It's our, you know, where do we want to go and what are our plans? Yeah. So, it, you know, you kind of come down to, I just turned 50 this year and it's kind of like, okay, you know, when do I want to retire? Mm-hmm. When, what is, how long do I want to run the business? What's the legacy of the business? Yeah. And so, our conversations versus tactical these days tend to more around those pieces after hours kind of talking about those long-term planning ideas. Well, and I would imagine those are really life-giving and yeah. a, lot, a lot
2: of energy comes out of talking about you yeah. know, the legacy you want to leave and what what next steps are down the road. So Michael, you mentioned earlier that this demand from your customers, customer for security, what are you guys doing to help
3: SMBs really pr- protect and preserve that critical data? Uh, that it, It's a, you know, so... The interesting part is one of the things we've seen is a cultural shift with security, right? So a lot of our clients are like, okay, this is the IT, you handle it, you're responsible for it. Mm-hmm. When we get into security, and then even when you get into all these regulatory stuff, it's a much more collaborative mm-hmm. piece. So the first piece was getting that was us understanding that we had to be secure. We had to have a culture of security around us, which yep. took, a year to get around. Then we had to understand the communication of that. We had to bring the client into a collaborative environment that they can't just put it all on us. They have to decide policies. They have to actually be reviewing us. Mm. They have to talk to us about where they're putting data. So for instance, you know, you can look at a client and they have, you know, a file server and then they have office 365, right? And okay, so we've secured that, but then three of the partners and whatever type of business all of a sudden are using Dropbox on the side Mm. and they haven't told us about it. Mm. And so now they've got an exposure point if we are not collaborating and talking about, we can't secure. Got it. Got it. I love it. So uh, Michael, your
2: company is known for no geek speak. Tell us, uh, tell us about that.
3: So I thought long and hard about that because you brought that up before we, um, that question. So what that means is we try to respectfully talk to the client, mm. like at a level they understand. So you walk into a law firm, right? It's kind of like you walk into a law firm. If a lawyer starts talking, you're like, he's talking to another lawyer. You walk into an accounting firm and they start talking debits and credits. Yep. You're like, uh, I, it goes way over my head <laughs> in So we wanna do the same thing, okay? So, you know, one of the things is if we're moving client from on-premise stuff to the cloud, we'll put a diagram on the table. Mm. We'll build a diagram out that will say, okay, this is what you look like now. This is what it's gonna look like. This is how your data is gonna flow. Mm-hmm. This is what's going on here. And we try and put it in real simple, respectful terms that they can understand why they're paying for it? What they're doing? Yeah, makes sense. Michael, tell us about how being an Ingram Micro partner has helped your business. So, I real I've been an Ingram Micro partner for quite a number of years, but I got in the SMB Alliance about three and a half years ago. Okay. And we, it was really funny the way we kind of started. We started where we went to signed so up for Ingram Cloud. We had just done a big order, and actually, as I'm on the plane on Wi Fi. We got assigned out of the SMB pool to a person. Um, Melissa Dreger was our rep and she's like, she got my out of office and she says, I hope you're on your way to Ingram Cloud. And I said, actually I am. So she says, well, I've been assigned your rep When I got back from um, Arizona, from Ingram Cloud, she's like, okay, let's set up these meetings with who do you do business with? And all of a sudden the information came in as a fire hose. And I'm like, wow, I have a partner. And because I'm like, one of the other distributors we were dealing with was, it was a frustrating point. We were trying to make traction on stuff. My office manager was getting calls back. I wasn't getting calls Mm. back. So we were all of a sudden getting attention. And I've we value relationships first yeah. and foremost. So, we were building a relationship. As our numbers climbed, we got in the SB Alliance. We started to build out our Office 365 practice. Mm. We went from zero to silver competency. Nice. Our revenue in the last three years has grown by a million dollars. Wow. So, you know, all, and so it's, It's having relationships with the vendors. It's like I think I was sitting in the solution pavilion, and I think I've got a vendor to help me now with um, some security stuff that will be a good partner. So I look at it as a partnership, not a vendor-customer relationship. And the peers in the SMB Alliance have helped me with various things. Ingram has been a – Ingram's one of our top three partners that we deal with. I love it.
2: Thanks for sharing that. So um, Michael, one of the questions that we love asking during these interviews, uh, and we'll we'll wrap it up here, where do you see technology going in the next year?
3: The next year, I think it's more connectivity. I think it's more security. Okay. I think, um, I think you're going to, you know, you're looking at everything from everything getting more connected, and I think you're, you haven't seen the, you know, you've seen a lot of breaches. I think you're going to continue to see mm. that, unfortunately. Mm. Got it. All right. So how can our listeners stay connected with you? Um, you can, my website, www.itsnyc.com, and you go to my LinkedIn account. It's, um, I looked it up today, linkedin.com <laughs> forward slash in forward slash Michael Coopersmith. Love it. Awesome, Michael. Well, thank you so much
2: for being here. If you're listening to this and you want to stay connected with us, make sure to follow us on Twitter, at Ingram Tech Soul, and join the discussion by using the hashtag B2B Tech Talk. If you haven't already subscribed to this podcast, make sure you subscribe and whatever podcast podcast. podcast platform you prefer the most. Again, Michael, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. All right, everybody. I hope you liked that episode of the B2B Tech
1: Series with Ingram Micro. Again, you can find their full podcast feed by searching B2B Tech Talk in Apple Podcasts or wherever you do your listening. As always, thank you so much for listening. Stay safe, everybody.
2: I hate it when podcasts incessantly ask their listeners for reviews, but I get why they do it because reviews are enormously helpful when you're trying to grow a podcast audience. So here's what we decided to do. If you leave a review for B2B growth and Apple podcasts and email me a screenshot of the review to James at sweetfishmedia.com, I'll send you a signed copy of my new book, content-based networking, how to instantly connect with anyone you want to know. We get a review, you get a free book. We both win.